You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. If you have any prayer requests, please send them in because it is not an automated system who is speaking to you behind the computer. It is a live team, and we're excited and eager to hear from you and see where you are tuning in from. Um, we don't have very many announcements to share with you this morning. Um, if you have uh, missed it last week and the week before, we have um, incorporated a little bit of change in our children's ministry. Um, and we are very, very excited to announce that at the beginning of October, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's October 1st, the Sunday. Um, but in the beginning of October, we will op- be opening the doors to our junior high ministry. So this is very awesome. And let's give the team an applause. And we have a team that's been coming in on Saturday mornings and restoring, refurbishing, and remodeling everything so that we can accommodate our children because the children is what our future is about. We, our job, our purpose as a church is to plant that seed so that we can change generations so that the seed can go forth and keep feeding, keep staying alive. Amen. So if you are here for the first time, we have nursery right here in the hallway foyer. It is the very first door. It's for our, our babies up to the age of three. And then we, right next door, we have our super kids. Super kids is no longer outside in the, uh, the colorful building. We have super kids right where the cafe used to be. This is our school-age children from the age of 7 to 11. Um, And then next door to Super Kids, we have our jam club, and these are our preschoolers and our younger children. This is from ages 4 to 6. And October 1st, we will be opening the doors to our junior high ministry. Um, We're praying, so get into prayer of agreement and agree with us that everything is going to function. We're going to have our team ready. We're going to have our buildings ready. Can we do that, church? As a church, amen, amen. So um, we have one special announcement, and I'm going to welcome someone up in a minute. But let me give you a little bit of information. Um, Today marks the anniversary of one of our brothers, um, and we're celebrating that he gained his, he is in heaven. He gained his forever home, and he is in heaven complete, and we celebrate that. We celebrate that. And this is Alvaro. And we have his family here this morning, and we have a little special something that we want to share. And church, it involves you. It involves you. And instead of, you know, one way of celebrating his memory, his family has come up with a very creative way of keeping him alive. Because if you knew Alvaro, he was very kind, very generous, very giving of his time, very giving of his heart, very giving of his love. He was a very wonderful man, a wonderful brother in Christ. And what the family is doing in memory of him is doing a a random act of kindness today on his uh, anniversary. So it is, we are encouraging you, church, to do something today. Do a random act of kindness. Be creative, you know, help someone. Be kind to someone. In one way or another, something that you can do, step out and be kind to someone. Maybe you can pay for their meal. 
at Dairy Queen whenever you go eat after this. Or maybe you can be nice when we're in the parking lot and let someone leave before you. Um, Maybe you can say to your child, you know what? Let's spend some time together and let's play a board game. Let's do something together. Let's have random acts of kindness. Let's show the love that Alvaro had. And let's show the love and the honor of his memory. So at this time, I'm going to invite his wife up, Ms. Jessie Hauriki. And let's give her an applause and let's welcome her, church. Hi, everybody. Good morning. So I'm better at writing than speaking, so I'm just going to read what I wrote. It's been 365 days without my best friend, 365 days without I love yous, without good morning kisses, and a whole year without my children's father. And although we know my husband will always be the missing piece to what makes us whole, we have been blessed in many ways since his departure. I like to joke that it all started with a dog. (laughs) You see, in 2020, right before the pandemic got intense, We adopted a very expressive dog who not only made our family laugh, but the world laugh. He had a global audience. Thanks, Facebook. Um, And that same community was the community that basically took care of me and my children once my husband was hospitalized. Complete strangers were sending gifts to my children so they could keep busy while I was dealing with what happened to him in the hospital. They sent, I don't know, tons of flowers for his funeral. They were just as devastated. They followed his journey also. And that community, I truly believe, was sent from God because had it not been for that one dog that we randomly decided to adopt off of Craigslist, we would not have the audience we have now and be able to do great things in my husband's honor. Too many have experienced the pain of a loved one that was taken too soon. I thank God daily for the individuals who have come forward for the sake of my family. It will never bring them back into the world, but it does give me some comfort knowing that we weren't crazy to believe that something was very wrong while Alvaro was hospitalized. Those four amazing souls that have come forward to testify, to speak the truth of what happened to my husband, all say the same thing. It was weighing on my conscience. I couldn't be silent anymore followed up by, if I could go back in time, I would. I would make sure he got the quality care he deserved. He deserved to live. That conscience they speak of, I truly believe, is Jesus whispering in their ears that our family needs something positive to come out of what the nightmare was. Alvaro was one too many. When my children speak about their grief, they have the same questions that follow descriptions about how they feel. My three-year-old asks, why can't I visit heaven? To which I respond, you will one day, but not today. My seven-year-old asks, why did God take the only daddy that chose to love me? To which I respond that it was human error that took him, not God. But God did welcome him into heaven with a brand new healthy body. And he allowed him to be reborn. And for that, I am always grateful. And I do tell my kids that daddy gets to visit them from time to time, but he has a full-time job as a guardian angel now, watching over those who are probably suffering the same fate he did. Kids are amazing in the sense that they can adapt to situations they should never be put through. It is in my children's eyes that I see the deepest faith in God that I have ever witnessed. And while I'm so busy feeling cheated of my time with my best friend in this life, they are thanking Jesus for the family they still have. What would break most adults have only inspired my children to be more forgiving 
more appreciative of joy and more willing to try new things because it would make daddy proud. And he is. I know he's so proud of my kids. And as a mother, it makes you wonder if I'm doing enough. Can I love them enough to feel their dad's love through me? Can I, can my need to get justice help them heal? Will they ever get justice? I believe the answer is yes. Sharing our story has already prevented so many others of suffering the same fate as my husband. And I believe it was a message straight from God the day I was asked to speak on the steps of the Capitol in Washington. I believe God is just getting started with us, with me particularly, to begin a movement where we take back our autonomy to choose who and what we who and what can treat us in our most vulnerable state. I believe Jesus is walking with me while I walk through the fire of criticism that I receive daily. I believe he will shield me from the dark, twisted lies that the defense will say to discredit us as we try to hold those accountable that shouldn't be practicing medicine anymore. I believe that this isn't all for nothing. Those four people would not have come forward unless it was God's plan. I believe that this is the beginning of the next chapter of my life where Alvaro Huero Omar Hauriki is used as the perfect example of why we need laws to protect our choices of our health care and for the next of kin that has to make impossible decisions. I believe that Alvaro was one, the one, that would change the entire story of what happens out of this pandemic. And I will do my best to listen, learn, and speak for those who can no longer speak for themselves. And I believe I will do it with God by my side. Thank you. I'm going to just uh, go off that a little bit, and for those of you that maybe are not familiar with the situation, you know, of course, I, I knew Alvaro since he was basically a little kid, and we watched him grow up, and, and you know, everything about his character is, is true. He was such a lovely person, such a good heart, and, you know, we wonder sometimes about fairness and, and stuff like that, and, you know, just, you know, as humans, we have a tendency to lean into, this is not fair, or this is fair. And that's just human nature. But the, the truth, most of you have experienced, if you're an adult, you've experienced that life is not fair at all. You know, and you just navigate through it. And, you know, and sometimes you wonder why somebody like, like this, you know, have to go forward. Well, we don't really have an answer. You know, we just know that Jesus said in this life you will have tribulation. But then he said something else is don't fear I have overcome basically this life, right? He says in this life you will have tribulation, but fear not I have overcome. And then he uses the word the world. But he's talking about not the world you know, that Christians, we have all the world to sin. No, he's not talking about it. He's talking about living. You know, and life comes, and it comes hard, and it comes with unfairness. You know, I've, I've done too many funerals for people that I believe were not meant to go. And then you wonder about some people that are still around, and you should say they should have gone a long time because they're just evil people. Let's just, just have that conversation. We're not talking about, you know, we can go through history, tyrants and different people that have caused so much pain and anguish to the human race. And they're, you know, alive and well, you know. So, so let's, you know, let's try not to put this into some kind of fairness context. But what, what we do understand, and I want to honor the family right now, is really more about legacy. But before I go into that, the legacy that, that she was talking about, and I want to speak to the family now, and of course, Selma being the mom, and the wife, and the kiddos. You know, God created what we understand as time. You know, time 
you know, and more than anything, seasons. And you get four seasons, you call it a year. And I think that is not just a something. I think God does something within seasons. And I'm not trying to put this on a calendar, but usually a year, that's what we understand a season. We celebrate birthdays, we celebrate home going. We ce- but for the family, I think the season, you know, this is just my word for you as a family, and I'm going to ask, you know, for you guys to come up, I want to pray for you for a moment, but as a memorial to him, you know, the season has now shifted. Now the season, what you were building, the season is to continue, and with all that unfairness that came out of the situation, and I'm not going to go into details, I know the details, now we can have a sense of justice. And I think as, as we close, I don't, I don't like to use the word grieving, but if that's the word we need to pick, you know, we close a season of grieving, and now we move into the season of really the memorial. Because a memorial is not just today. We will remember him. And whatever comes from this, to address the theme that because it was, you know, there's a lot of stuff in here that needs to be addressed on legal levels and other levels, I just believe that that's where we're headed. So for the family, remember, you know, let's use this service today as a closure of that season, and let's get excited about what God's going to do for the rest season. Because, you know, as we know, Alvaro is happy and fine, and really he's like, y'all, um, I'm not going back down, but if y'all want to come up here, I'll wait, okay? Because there's nothing joyous about leaving heaven. So, so we're not grieving for him. Are you all with me this morning? And maybe you're not reconnected to the family. You know, obviously as a pastor, I've been connected to, to the family and to Selma and him for many, many years. But um, let's just move into that season and let's see what God's going to do in honor to them. So if, if I would ask the family, if y'all would like to come up here, I just want to come and pray for you and bless you. So, and the rest of the congregation, if you would just stand in honor of the family and, and honor Alvaro's memory. And today's his one-year anniversary of his home going. So we believe there's closure. And I just want everybody in agreement, you know, what I believe is the next season for this beautiful, beautiful family. So, Father, I thank you right now. Well, come on. Oh, there's more coming. Well, come on, guys. The more, the merrier. <laughs> there you go, buddy. He's, he's, going, he's running off to the races. Okay. That's all right. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this family. And I thank you, Father, for this service. And, Lord, we know that all these things and these children that their dad was ripped from them and her father, her husband and mom, her son. But, Father, at the end of the day, this is what life is. And I know, Father, that today, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you bring a closure to this family, but not a closure to Alvaro's memory or his legacy because I know something else is coming and something big is coming. But we ask for justice, Father. We ask for justice and healing. And I thank you right now in the name of Jesus for Selma. And I bless her and I bless, Father, the, the heart of a mom. That, Father, this is just not supposed to be this way, but it is what it is. And that you have strengthened her and you have encouraged her and you will continue to encourage her and continue to strengthen. Father, I believe that at the end of this story, there's going to be an amazing, amazing thing. And I bless these children. And I bless, Father, the family. And I thank you, Lord, that the next season is coming up and that you will mark every step of this family into the place where they need to be. We celebrate Alvaro's life, we celebrate his memory, and we look forward, Father, to what will come. I call them blessed, I call them healed, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Let's give the Lord a hand clap for this beautiful family. You okay, buddy? Okay down there? (laughs) I'm sorry? Oh, yeah. Okay, we can... um,
back there, if you guys, you can post that up on social media if you guys want to tag that. You may be seated, congregation. Thank you for, for honoring the family. All right, let's get into it this morning. And, um, you know, I know I'm, I'm going to close my series, but it's not done. It's never done. You know, there'll be a point somewhere where... We've been talking about the church. We've been talking about what is, what is the ecclesia, what is the, the body. And, and it might not be like the most exciting, oh, children, released. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All children to your classes. That's not my job. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll preach at them too. Bless God. I am excited about our junior high group, you know. I'll talk a little bit about that for the rest of the church. You know, it's just like, you guys didn't have that? Yeah, we had it, but it was kind of blended into another group which was the super kids, and it was just that one area, because really, listen to me, the place where your war for the life and death of your kids, and I'm talking spiritual, is going to be fought within the junior high level. By the time they hit high school, they probably got the good, the bad, whatever they need. You know, that doesn't mean they're lost, you know, but really we need to focus on that, so I'm excited about this new group that's coming, and we'll see where it goes. All right, let's go ahead and um, get into it this morning. I want you to open your Bibles, first of all, to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And again, you know, when you talk about the ecclesia, you talk about the church, it might not be the most exciting messages, and hopefully you guys don't turn me off right now, like, well, I came to church, I got all my problems, I, I need some answers. Yes, that's why we're here. <coughs> we all need answers, but, you know, we have to understand the foundations, because well, I think one of the main things and I don't want to go off subject, and I'm about to, but I don't want to, is you have to understand what this is. And I want to make a mention right now, as some of you watch, as we honor the families, we prayed for them. That's really what a church is. You know, we're supposed to be like a family. We're supposed to watch out for each other. Those are the very foundations of what an ecclesia is. But, you know, religion has made it something else. You know, 2,000-plus years of organized religion in whatever category, including ours. You know, we don't have it all together, trust me. We, we created something else, and, it, and it's not completely off rhythm, but the more I study it, the more I see the need to bring it back. And, and we're going to talk about some things, because I'm going to talk about you this morning. I'm going to talk about what is a disciple. That is a very overused word or very religious word. You know, you don't really use disciple in a whole lot of other circles, but except the Christian camp, you know. You don't hear like somebody's going to universities. What are you doing? I'm going to be discipled. Nobody uses that. But, when, when you use it, but that's really what they're doing, right? Because that's all it means. So let's talk about, you know, what is a disciple? What is your part within the ecclesia? And why is it important? And you're going to see that a lot of life things, that, you know, a lot of life issues that you are dealing with currently will be connected to what you do with what God has called you to do. Last week we talked about our callings. We talked about that everyone is called to something or to someone. So let's pick it up right here in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. So let me bring you up to where we are. So Jesus has come. He's been crucified, was resurrected from the dead, spent 40 days with his disciples, and he's about to leave the, for the last time, you know, meaning the earth. So this is where we're at historically. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? Now, just a quick pause there. Remember, the disciples from the beginning, and we're going to use the word disciple, and I want you to keep hearing you in that word. They thought that Jesus, well, they have the idea, which is not completely incorrect, but that Messiah would come and deliver them from oppression, which is what he does. 
that, you know, primarily spiritually. And when Jesus came, they expected a revolution to break the oppression off the Roman government. And that didn't happen. So, like, you know, first, first, you know, they're like this big movement, and all of a sudden their leader is dead. And now this leader just came back alive, and he said, okay, well, maybe it is going to happen. And Jesus says, no, that's not, that's not the revolution that I came to bring. So that's really the conversation. That's why they ask the question, so when are we going to, when are we going to overthrow the government? You know, very, you know, and he's saying, no, no, you got boys, this is way bigger than that. So now he says, he replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. So right there, he kind of settles this idea, says, don't worry about this. But then he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The word witnesses could also be used as disciples telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, let's, that one line, in my notes I have it highlighted, it says, and you will be my witnesses telling me, telling people about me everywhere. Now, let's back up a little bit, because this is really the commissioning of the church. Now, if you look at the church today, and I'm talking globally and not one, don't, bogged down on denominations. Any group of people that believes in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, Catholic, Baptist, you know, we have our own little versions, we all have our little twists, but the foundation's the same. Can I hear you, man? So don't quit fighting with other Christians because they don't go to your church. Because at the end of the day, the foundation's the same. You know, the Catholics, they have their foundations, the Baptists have their foundations, Pentecostals have, you know, that we're not, not their foundations, we have different little things, but the foundation's the same. You've got to believe in the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. So once you understand that, so he's speaking, you know, to the global church. That's you. Even though it's 2,000 years in the past, he's speaking into the future. And this is the commission. And think about what he told us to do and what we are doing is sometimes a little bit different. Because he says, I want you to become witnesses. I want you to become disciples. So what did we turn around? We turned around and built churches. But never, never in this whole thing did you say, let's build a church. Because remember, you know, we've been three weeks on this. He created an ecclesia. If you don't know what that is, I don't have time to explain anymore. Study it, but it was, an or, it was a form of organized government. It was never build a building, put some benches, get the praise and worship. There was nothing like that. Now again, I've said this every week I think I've preached it. There's nothing wrong with the way we do it, but it wasn't the original idea. You realize that in the New Testament, there's absolutely no instructions about praise and worship? Zero. (laughs) That we have a whole ministry. And by the way, Kathy, you guys are doing awesome. Let's give them a big hand clap. Today was like, they just keep getting better and better and better. And young lady, you're just amazing. Very proud, right, Freddie? You got a big old smile, right? (laughs) No, they're just doing it. So they're just doing, just keep kicking it up. And I appreciate that so much. But you know, and it's beautiful. But this wasn't really what Jesus was looking for. He says, yeah, I want you to go out there and build a bunch of little buildings and fill them with about 80 people and call yourself a church. (laughs) That's what we've created all throughout the world. But that's not what he said. He just said, I want you to be a witness. That was really the commission. How how easy. That would be so much easier than doing this, Lodo. Just be a witness. So we really have to unpack what this witness thing is. And, And he tells you of all the things that are coming. you got power. But the key is you will be a witness. That is really should be the foundation of a church. And when you talk about an organized church, organized religion, 
that's one of the last things you really think about. You think, well, what's your church about? So we'll tell them about our programs. We'll tell them about our super kids. We'll tell them about our youth. We'll tell them about our missions programs. We'll tell them about how wonderful our church is. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, I want you to be a witness. And I think this is very important to understand. So I, I want you to keep that thought up there because I want to move into where we want to do, where we want to go with this idea of disciples. So let's break it down. What is a disciple? Let's go to John 8, 31, 8, 32. I'm going to give you three points on what I believe are characteristics of a disciple. First of all, the definition of disciple is a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or a philosopher. In other words, a learner. Now, I want to spend a little time on this idea because I think religion has caused a lot of damage into what our idea of a disciple is. Because we say, you need to be a disciple of Jesus. So, you know, somewhere in our head, we process that into say, I need to be perfect. And let me help you, you're not. And, it, and, you, and I got one better for you, and you never will be. Look at the person next to you and say, I know that's hard news for you, but you're not perfect. Go ahead, break the ice, get it out of your system. That would, I'm sorry, bro. You can tell me. Come on. I'm, gonna, I'm about to tell you. You better tell me. Say, Pastor, you're not perfect. Go ahead. Well, you're not either. Thank you, sir. He was real tensed up about that. So a disciple is simply a follower or a student. Now, when you went, if you went to university or any higher education or even high school, I guess, or school, whatever, you had a teacher and you were told to do certain things that the teacher did, hopefully, so you get an education. But here's my question. Were you responsible at the get-go to do and know everything that the teacher knows? This is a really dumb question, but I would say obviously no, because if you knew that, you wouldn't have to go to school. So the understanding is you don't know nothing, but I'm going to put you in front of a teacher. And when they're done, you're going to know something. Maybe you'll know as much as they do. Maybe you even know more if you, if you work it on your own time. And that is the expectation. You, you know, you don't put a school, you know, you don't put a kid in, in school. Let, let's just go a little higher. Let's go, you know, high school. You don't put him in a high school. And he never went to first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. Even though he has the age, he doesn't have the capacity. He might know how to read. Let's say you just find somebody that's never been in school. Maybe they know how to read, maybe they're not. But you throw, well, well, you're a ninth grader. No, you're not. You might have the age of a ninth grader, but you don't have the capacity of a ninth grader. That doesn't make you stupid. That doesn't make you retarded. That just means you need to be brought up. And here's where I think the church misses it. So we're all looking at our teachers like, yeah, I'm imperfect. Teach me. You know, I have this conversation sometimes about teachers. And I said, you know, I don't want to go down this path, but teachers, listen to me. If you're working in the school, you work for us. And your job is to teach the kids. Teachers, teach. So when your student asks you a question, answer the question. Don't tell, make them feel bad because they don't know the answer. Thank you, I got that off my chest. Just made you all much better teachers. But that's sometimes what happens. And that's how we approach Christianity. We're like, well, I don't know anything about Jesus. Well, you should. And then, and then if you're not careful, everything about this experience is about pointing out your deficiencies. Well, you need to change this. You need to change that. 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 You need to change, fix that. Oh, no, you can't be a Christian if you do that. Really? So it sounds like almost to be a Christian, you have to be perfect. 
<laughs> I know, I know that's what religion does. Religion, you know, puts so much pressure on you to say, well, you've got to be like Jesus. Well, let me help you. You'll never be like Jesus. Because you weren't conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hello? We're not celebrating Christmas in your name. So get the standard right. Yes, the, stand, the perfection is Jesus. But you know when you're going to be perfect? When you get to where Alvaro is. <laughs> That's perfection. Say amen. That's not a deficiency. Death is not something less. Death is a graduation. But until that happens, you got to break out of your head... Oh, i got to be perfect like Jesus, because if that's what you're pursuing, you will never truly be a disciple, and you will never be efficient for the ecclesia. That's where I'm going with all this. What is really a disciple? What is, you know, and there's a lot of scriptures about discipleship, so I only picked like three points that maybe help you something, you know, because my, my goal this morning, you've got to leave this building with some information. If you're like, well, that was a really good historical teaching, but my house is still a mess. <laughs> my marriage is still a mess. No, we need to understand the rhythm of this thing. We're not just here to get our life fixed. Nothing wrong with that. Most of us, maybe you're the exception, I wasn't. I came back to God because my life was a wreck. Is there any amens on that one? Nothing wrong with that. Help. My life is a mess. But once you're in here, something happens. Even though your life is still not fixed, there should be a desire to make somebody's life just a little bit better. And a lot of people, you know, because the world will say, how can I fix somebody else's life if my life is a wreck? i got to work on me first. Amen? You wonder about all these self-help books that people write? <laughs> Apparently they're not working because they keep writing more. If there was a self-help book, there should just be one that's perfect, right? Well, actually, there's one that's called the Bible. Anyway. But you, you know, you're coming, oh, I've got I to fix this, I've got to fix this, I've got to, yes. But the rhythm of a disciple is, as I am trying to reach the standard of Christ, I am able to bless. Because, you know, and I, I don't, I'm kind of ahead of myself, but let me bring, bring this back. So a disciple is a follower, never a clone. I don't have a better word. But we, religion says, you want to be like Jesus? You've got to be a clone of Jesus. Wow, that's a high standard. Because <laughs> we, we weren't born conceived by the Holy Spirit. We have a damnic nature. That means we have a tendency to go to dark places. All right? So a disciple is, get this one, a follower, a student. If you keep those two right, you'll, you'll be a great disciple. That means you're teachable. Because that's the, you know, the other side of this is when you think you've got it all, I've been in church 35 years, well, I know so many, I, there's, I can tell you stories about pastors that used to always throw in my face. Well, I've read through the Bible cover to cover, you know, what was that guy's name? Anyway, he told me some crazy number, 36 times. And I'm thinking, well, maybe one I've done it, you know? <laughs> I read a lot of Bible, who knows how many, but I've never really like, okay, I'm going to start here and I'm going to finish here. <laughs> I'm always like, Ch -ch -ch -ch. and that guy was, you know, you know, the name doesn't matter, it was a minister in Mexico, big church, big everything, but when deception come, he took it 
hook, line, and sinker. H is what I'm talking about. Um, the guy was really smart. He was under our church. He was under my pastoral cover. But he, he went on, on, on a line of deception, like crazy stuff deception. Went from a 600-person church to about 60. And he got mad at me for calling him out and saying, dude, you're on the wrong track. And I was his pastor. So when your pastor tells you nice things and how awesome and beautiful you are, you all love my pastor. Then when your pastor says, hey, you're on the wrong track, I'm never going back to that church. Who does he think he's at? Well, you don't have to. I'm just saying. That's what a pastor does. He pastors. Sometimes he pesters, but that's another one. We tend to pastor. Pastors, hey, come on, guys. Well, some of you are like, cats, my God. You know, but anyway. A disciple is a follower, is a student. Now, why are you, why are you beating that one in, Pastor? Because if, you, if in your head is a disciple is imitator of Jesus, which is a definition, is putting your standards so far up there. <laughs> you are putting yourself so far up there. I just want to be like Jesus. So do I. Are we? No. Let's just be honest. I haven't met one person that's exactly like Jesus. Now, we can walk in holiness and we can... You know, try not to be an idiot and all this kind of stuff that we do. But we're not going to be, never be him. So let's break that out of your head right now because that is a great, great problem in, in, in the believer's psyche. They say, well, I can never be good enough. I can never do enough. Like, oh, okay. And we're always like working towards something, and that's not what this is about. Amen. Now let's go to these. Let me give you the three. So number one, you must be a truth seeker. And oh, my gosh, I, I, I could have spent a lot of time on this because there's some things in my own life that I'm dealing with right now, not bad, spiritually, but I'm, I'm coming to crossroads in my life where I've, you know, God has revealed extra insight to things, and I'm thinking, wow, was I wrong all these years? And no, no, I wasn't wrong. I just got deeper insight, and I got to correct something. I'll talk about that in a minute. But a truth seeker is one of the characteristics of a disciple. Not a church seeker, not a celebrity pastor seeker, not even a pastor seeker, truth seeker. So Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him, do you believe in Jesus? Three people. Okay, so three people that believe in Jesus, this scripture is for you. Because if it applies to the Jews that had believed in him, it applies to the Gentiles today that believe in him. That's us. If you abide in my word, now this is amplified version, I put it there just to amplify some of the key words, hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them. And then he goes on and says, You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. Let me paraphrase a little bit. And the truth that you know will make you free. Amen? Now there's a lot in here to unpack, so let me, let me break down. So Jesus said to those who believe me, If you abide in my word. In other words, if you make a choice to live in my word. Now be careful with what we're saying. Is that perfection? No, that's just your choice. You, you made a choice where maybe before you used to lie a lot. And you say, you know what, maybe I should fix that and, and put something in my system where I don't tell so many lies. Or hopefully eventually I don't tell any lies. Well, that is what he's referring to. But religion sometimes goes the other way. says, oh, you're a Christian? You shouldn't lie. Oh. So if I lied this week, I'm not a Christian. That's what, that's what the Christian's thinking. But Jesus never said that. 
<laughs> That's what religion has said. So, you know, we're going back to the beating, you know, people down with rules. He says, if you, live in, if you live in my word, then you're going to grab on to what I teach, and you're going to live in accordance to those teachings. Well, all these things that are, that are happening are things completely, let me put it, the, the responsibility of these things happening in your life are completely on you. Nobody else. In other words, Jesus says, you want to be a disciple? Okay, get in the word. He didn't say go to church. He didn't say subscribe to a religion. He said, get in the word. Live in my word. Live in my word. Okay, so that's number one, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit. But then he goes on to say, by living in the word and holding fast to my teaching, something happens. You get to know truth. And I think this is one of the things that, I, boy, it's like a whole sermon. I, let me read you one of my notes. It's not on the, on the slides, because I was studying along these paths on a completely different deal. And I wrote this down, and this was just this is just a very my own personal note. I wrote it down just this is how, you know I just write stuff, and I write wrote this. I said, "Be free of yourself," and I put exclamation. It's okay to change your mind, and I put really it's okay to recognize error. Nothing wrong with corrections when one grows in knowledge based on facts, evidence, and confirmation. Pay attention to this. Remember, for a truth to be proven as truth, it will be required to be tested. Now, this is a big one, because when we come to church, you come to this church, and probably every church in America will beat on our little pulpit and say, I got the truth. This is the truth. Everybody thinks they got the truth. The Muslims think they got the truth. They blow themselves up thinking they're in the truth. Do you understand? I'm not knocking. I'm just saying, truth is relative to what you believe it. (laughs) Amen? Amen? And we're living in a time, boy, we're living in a time where it's really hard to know what's true. You can't trust news. Are you kidding me? Every news out there, I don't care if you watch left, right, middle, everyone is biased. Everyone is biased into whatever their opinion is. So real truth is, is really hard. You know, nobody tells you it's going to rain. That's truth. Or it is raining. That's the truth. They're going to add all their opinions about it. It is raining because of global warming. Oh, no, no. Just tell me if it's going to rain. Don't, don't add that. So you have to be careful because we live in a world where everything, guess what happens? Pretty soon within the church, there's a lot of stuff the church believes that it's not true. And there's a lot of stuff that the church believes that we created that. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Word. It's not in the process. And there's, here we go. This is where I'm at, guys, because I, have a, I, I really feel a responsibility as a pastor that if I, whatever I teach, I have to believe it's true. I mean, I might be an error, but if I'm teaching error that's on me because I know it's error are you following and that would be wicked and that would be dark and that would be disgusting to God but truth tends to build on truth it never builds on lies and the church has a lot of funny stuff when I say church you guys are thinking of this one no think of the global church just keep thinking because we're talking about the global ecclesia we're not talking just faithway faithway has its stuff every church has its stuff I don't, want to, I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I, let me finish the statement because truth seekers have to have a, something and understand. If you want to be a disciple, you have to be a truth seeker. And truth is vague sometimes. And truth is not really clear sometimes. So the only way you know something is true is if it's tested. Amen. That's, that's the scientific process, right? You come up with a theory, then you run through a few tests, and if the evidence, you know, if your tests prove what your theory is, now you've got a fact. 
Well, Christianity, I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. Because Christianity, we have all these vague, vague, vague areas where are hurting people, and people are living, leaving the church in droves because of all these vague, gray areas, again, global church, that we have created. Amen? And I think if we don't come back to the root of what is your responsibility, my resp- everybody's responsibility, and Jesus' responsibility, then church kind of just piddles around and we do what we do, but we don't really have the influence and the impact because Jesus, the influence of the impact was worldwide. He, he wasn't just, you know, okay, guys, you know, you, the 11, because one's missing, right? He got, you know, Judas. You 11 and Mary and everybody else and the, all the ones hanging out, y'all, y'all just, you know, do your thing here in Jerusalem. No. This thing was a worldwide vision. And a worldwide vision doesn't fit within four walls. <laughs> right? Boy, I, I, wanna, I got so much preaching in me, and I keep hitting the things that I'm not there yet, so I've got to bring it back. Okay, let me finish my statement. So, this is the beauty of being a truth seeker. You may wander down a wrong path for a moment, or even years. But once you gain, gain insight, you recognize, you repent, you return, and you reset the coordinates of life. So now you can reset your life's path in direction of whatever truth is in the now. What does that mean, Pastor? You know, you come to church, any church, and they're going to teach you what their foundations, including this church. Hopefully, they're the foundations of the Bible. And then whatever you want to add to it, that's fine, you know. But a truth seeker makes one, one, one decision, very simple decision. Because, again, we already decided that the truth is relative in that world, because we really don't know. All the COVID nonsense, all the lies of COVID, all the stuff that we've been talking about. You know, well, nobody really knows. But one thing, as a believer, you're going to have to decide that, John, that Jesus said it in John 17. He says, my word is truth. Simple statement. He didn't elaborate. He said, well, really, really, believe me, my word is truth. No, he didn't, he didn't do that. Do you realize that God is never trying to convince people that he exists? And that's what Christians do? We got this backwards. Come to church. God is so good to me. Really, God, God, God is so good. Jesus never, God didn't do that in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't do that in the New Testament. But the church thinks that's our number one evangelistic tool. But they didn't do any of that. There's never any indication of the Old Testament or the New Testament that God is saying, hey, really, I exist. Come on, believe in me, please. Here, let me part the Red Sea so you can see I'm real. None of that. He's just God. He just does what God does, right? So, when you, when, uh, uh, let, me, let me get to where I'm going with this. So, a truth seeker is okay with correction. Pastor, why is this? Because discipleship, this is what you understand. If you, if you really understand discipleship, and, and you're going to see why the benefit of understanding it is in a few, mo- few minutes, is you, you really got to settle down and say, okay, because I've been on that side. Don't think I just got saved and became a pastor. I spent a few years... Which is right, you know, you don't get saved and become a preacher. Till the time came, and I was on that side a while, and you know what? Even though I was a baby Christian, born, you know, barely saved, I was very critical. I was very critical of everything up here. Without having any insight on how this thing works. Once I got to this place, I'm like, oh, explicit. No, just kidding. Because it's a whole different ballpark when you're on this side of the pulpit. 
You guys are, you know, again, I, I, there's no feel sorry for me or anything, but I, my job is not just to preach on Sunday. I, that'd be the easiest thing. If that's all I had to do, whoo, that'd be so good. If that's the only thing I had to do, that would be heaven. No, it's everything from leaders and coordinating and missions and budgets and fix this and pastor, we need to repair that and we need pain. I, like, there's, I think pastoring job is probably the most complete job. You've got to be a mechanic. You've got to be a farmer. You've got to be an electrician. You've got to be a teacher, a preacher, a counselor. In the real world, you only pick one. Well, I'm a counselor. No, a pastor, you've got to pick all of them. So if you're not careful, pretty soon, here you are, trying to run something. And I'm, I'm off, a little off subject, but I'm going to bring it back. Trying to run something, because this goes right back into your life without understanding it. And I've done that. So you can be on this side of the pulpit and not understand and be critical, or I can even be on this side and not understand how these things work and, you know, do your best. So I came into this with manage, you know, understanding what upper management was. I've done that. I've done all these things. But all those skills, they can help you organize, but they're not going to help you run it because what runs it is Jesus. Pay attention. We're not in the world. This system, and that's why I say, come to church, everything gets structured. Like, even this thing, what, what does this look like? looks like a classroom. And, it wasn't, and that's not in the Bible. No, that's okay, it's fine. You're here to learn. But we created, we, we're creating all these ideas, and one of those things about, about, about discipline, I need to get my thought back to the, this idea, is that if I'm not careful with it, I will run this from one perspective only. Now, I thank God I was able to have that perspective, so it helps me to try not to hurt your feelings, which sometimes I do, hopefully I don't. Try to be nice, try to, you know, manage people the best you can. But here's where you come in. On that side, you got to be careful how you determine everything else we do on this side. Because a true disciple is not here to judge or to criticize. Now, you're here to call things out. I'm fine with that. Because I don't, you know, we're not a cult. You see something wrong, you need a pastor, this is wrong, come and talk to me. And we've done it. We've had, we've, we've had to resolve all kinds of stuff here. But at the same time, you have to say, if this is my church, then I am a disciple. <laughs> and I'm going to give you some characteristics. Because truth-seeking requires for you to be teachable. The beauty of it, well, how, how pastor, if I'm, if I'm just open to all the teachings, how do I know I'm not going to be in deception? Because truth will never lead you into deception. Man will lead you into deception. And they'll come up with all kinds of funky stuff about what the Bible said and false prophecies and all kinds of crazy stuff. But truth will never lead you into deception. And when you have that open heart, guess what happens? You'll pick up things off this pulpit that are wrong. That doesn't, you know, that, that doesn't mean you should run away and leave the church because you're dealing with somebody that's imperfect. Amen? <laughs> One time I was... Translating for Dr. Bill Bazanski in Mexico. Great man of God. He's in heaven now. I'm just talking about listening and fixing. And he was pretty, has little to do, but you guys are so serious. So. We were preaching in Mexico, in Puebla. And, um, and he said in English, I'm translating in Spanish, but he said in English, I think you were probably their age in that one. Um, what was it? I'm trying to get it right. Oh, when Moses built the ark. And he said that in English, but I fixed it in Spanish. Because you know why I fixed it? Because people are so about everything that if I hadn't fixed it, they would have turned the whole preacher off. Because he made one mistake. Does that make sense? One mistake. I'm talking people that know the Bible. 
People that know the Bible would know who Moses built the ark. Noah built, who built, you know, Juanito built the ark. Okay, Juanito built the ark. Yeah, whoever. But Bible people, ooh, we know a lot of Bible. And if you make one little slight misstep, we completely shut you down. Well, that is toxic. That tells me you're not a disciple. Because you're not seeking truth. You're trying to pick and point error. There's a difference between pulling error out and seeking truth. Because a truth seeker will be safe. One that's picking out error, you're, I'm going to show you right now, because one of the characteristics, I'm so ahead, one of the characteristics of discipleship is love. <laughs> so this one is a lot in here. I, I feel like preaching this so much, but let me just pull out a couple of things. You will know the truth, but let me paraphrase it because it's important. A truth seeker sets himself up, the word know is to have a personal interaction with truth. It's not like, oh, I know that the speed of, you know, light is 296,000 miles a second. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about knowledge. Well, I know the Bible, and I know the journeys of Paul, and I know the letter, and I know theology, and I know this. And, oh, that's wonderful. But we're not talking about knowledge. Truth is something that you have tested. If I tell you something from this pulpit, you know, and I say, look, this happened to me because I did A, B, and C... You might say amen, but that's not really a truth to you. You might believe me because I'm your pastor and hopefully I have enough confidence and you say, okay, I trust this guy. Maybe it is true that he said it, but it's not a truth to you. I'll keep going on this. Let's, let's, keep, let's keep doing this. For many, many, many years, when I was a heathen, I used to smoke cigarettes. I smoked a lot of them. And every single pack I ever bought in my life had a truth. Yeah, a little truth. The Surgeon General has determined. Tell me how much of that truth kept me from smoking. Zero. Because even though it's true, it wasn't true to me. So how many things in church come across as true, but they're not true to you? Because unless they're true to you, then the last part doesn't happen. The truth will Set you free. Don't answer the question. Is there anything binding you up? Are you tied down by depression, anxiety, addictions, immorality? Perver- I mean, I could go down a whole list, which that's not the point. But whatever that hang-up is, there's a truth to that hang-up. And a disciple will find it. Not a churchgoer, not a bench warmer, a disciple. So we have to define this idea. A disciple is a truth-seeker. He's not there to judge anybody. You know, if the preacher says something wrong, he's like, okay, you're imperfect. I get it. I'm imperfect. Let, let, me, let, me, let me take what you said, and then let me do my own path to find truth. And you will get to it. God will never hide truth from you. But sometimes it's a big slap in the face because we, that, the comment that I, that I wrote, that little statement I made, was slapping me in the face because there are things, they're not great changes, and I'm not ready to explain a lot of them, but you'll, you'll see as, as, as life goes on. You know, we're doing life together here. You know, there's things I believed in 19... 92, 93, 94, when I got saved, that are really different from what I believe today. Now, there wasn't anything wrong, you know, there was, but, there, but what happened, it was just maybe, how can I put it this way? It was, in God's word, sometimes truth will have various parts. Okay? We'll have, it's, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. And, and the problem with, 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 with Christians is we take one part of the puzzle and say, oh, I got the truth. And that is true. That part is true. 
but it has to be in context of the whole puzzle. Because if you pull it out without the context, you're going to end up in deception. And that's what's wrong with a lot of the stuff that we do in church. So over the years, you know, I've had to adjust and adjust and adjust. Sometimes it's hard because when you believe something for a long, 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 long time, your ego gets in the way. Because you don't want to accept you were wrong. I mean, have you ever come, and this is why I tell people, I've said this for years, and I'll say it again. The Word of God has an amazing way to take you down a road of whatever road you need to go. But it seems like it always hits a crossroad, level. And that crossroads is up to me to believe it. It's like, do I follow where the, where the word is really taking me? Because the, the crossroads is your tradition. Amen. Your traditional way of thinking. I'm not knocking anybody's religious belief. This church is not about changing your religion, for God's sake. Because we already agreed, regardless of your roots, we're Christians. Yes? Well, I was raised in the Catholic Church. You're a Christian. I was raised in the Pentecost. You're a Christian. Can we just unite on that? And not divide ourselves on, you know, they do, my church, they do it this way. Your church, they do that one. Your church is too loud. Well, your church is too quiet. Just saying. We could, we all day on this. And we get nowhere. And God is not glorified. And the call of ministry is not going anywhere. Remember the, remember the very first scripture I, I, I shared to you is the call of ministry. You will become a witness. In other words, you will become a disciple. And when you get there, you We'll start here, and he talks about Jerusalem, city, if you want to call it state, region, world. Isn't that cool? But it has to start with that discipleship. So you're saying, well, I want to change the world. Okay, you, you could. You could do something amazing, but it will have to start at a very centralized place which means your house and your heart. That's where it's going to start. World evangelism doesn't start by going to China. It starts in your heart. And accepting and correcting. So I'm spending way too much on this, but here's my point of saying, be a truth seeker. Don't just take everything hook, line, and sink and say, oh, okay, that's the way it is. Oh, Pastor Box said, no, don't even do that. I know I, I spend a lot of time, I use a lot of scriptures, and hopefully I put them into context, because I do work a lot to try to get context. And even historical context. There's some things that people are preaching today that are completely wrong because they were in a historical setting. I'm going to set some of your ladies free. There's all kinds of crazy scriptures about y'all. Every one of you should have a head covering right now, according to some stuff. But if you read that engine, it says, we don't have that custom. How could we miss that? We force a whole generation of women to come to church wearing head covering. When in the Bible, right after he says that, read it. He says, but the churches of Jesus Christ, we don't have that custom. But apparently, whoever decided that women have to cover their head decided not to read the last line. And they created years and religious and huge organizations. I'm talking hundreds, you know, thousands of people across the world. I'm not going to name denominations. Big, ginormous denominations that they believe that a woman... It will be unrighteous if she walks into a church without her head covered. That's pretty lame. Because Jesus could care less of how you look. Amen? Some of you could care less too of how you look, I can tell. But anyway. um, (laughs) Sorry, okay. Uh, Repent, Lord. A truth seeker 
is not seeking truth for somebody else. Because that's easy, right? How many of you have been in that sermon like, well, I'm glad she's here. She really needs to hear. Now. Little bony religious fingers. You know, when we have a lot of men in the meeting, we have to pray for their ribs after service. Tablan, tablan. No, a truth seeker is seeking for truth for himself. Guess what happens when truth comes? You accept it. You don't fight it. And if it's something very difficult for you, you start making the corrections. If you're dealing with an addiction, you're dealing with something difficult, and truth says, hey, deal with it. Guess what? Now you're in the perfect place to actually deal with it. Because God says, and the truth you know will set you free. So discipleship number one, I guess I'm saying way too much time, be a truth seeker. Always be curious. Don't just say, oh, pastor said. (laughs) If something, you know, rattles you in a good way inside, go back and do further study on it. Come on, with today's technology, not one of you has an excuse not to do it. See, back in my day when we had to study the Bible... H probably still has it. Back then, we had Strong's Concordance. Man, you, you could kill somebody with that book. Right? It's, it's a book about that big. It's got every word in the Bible and where it's at. You know, Strong had nothing to do with his life, I'm sure. But anyway, it's an amazing work of, I guess, literature. Not literature, like more like a dictionary, but it's just, this encyclopedia is like this. And if I wanted to preach on faith back in the 90s, even if there were computers, I couldn't afford one, so it didn't matter. I'd open my big old book. Faith. And then you'd have all these references. Oh my gosh. And then you'd get out your Bible. Faith. You'd spend hours, which was wonderful. I think that's kind of, I, I kind of wish we still had that a little bit because now it's like faith. I'm going to spend time in God's Word. Yep, got it done in 15 seconds. Yeah. Nailed it. Back then it wasn't like that. Back then it was like 15 hours maybe. But you know, a truth seeker is like that. He doesn't just go home and say, oh, okay, I guess that was a good turn. You think about it. But here's the key. You think about the application in your life. Now, it's, it's all going to build in something. So number one, truth seeker. Give me the next one, RJ. I'm, I, I need to move. Number two. And there was, it was sung about so wonderfully today, and, and Kathy you know, made a comment to this. It was so good. You've got to practice love. There is no way you can be called a disciple. If you do not, and boy, church, tell me something. If that is not one of the hardest disciplines a Christian has, I don't know which one it is. Now, trust me, I've been out doing this at this level for almost 30 years, and I don't have that down. And God dealt with some things even in the last couple of weeks, and boy, he, he healed some things in my heart about seeing, uh, and I don't, I don't want to go there because I'm not ready to say these things, but to see things from a completely different filter. And you know what? God, God will give you the capacity to love people that aren't like you. Hello. God will give you, listen Christians, God will give you the capacity to love people that don't believe like you. God will give you the capacity to love people that don't have the same customs regarding marriage as you. Because you know what Christians do? We create wars. We are, you need to be a Christian. Okay, yeah, that's probably, we believe that, right? We believe everybody needs Jesus. But how do we do it? By cutting you down? Well, you need Jesus because you're gay. No, you don't need Jesus because you're gay. You need Jesus because you need Jesus. 
<laughs> you need Jesus because you're drunk. No, you don't need Jesus because you're drunk. You need Jesus because you need Jesus. Because he's the one that kind of makes things manageable. I really don't know how you could do life without having that sense of God in you. I, just, it's, I, know, I know how it's done. When you don't have it, you fill your life with drugs and entertainment and craziness. But life is, is to me, the only thing that man is making my life, especially I'm, we're going through a season, I'm telling you, if it wasn't for God, I don't know where I'd be. It makes it manageable because he changes your perspective. But this is the idea. We've got to be careful that we don't become these zealous, you know, truth seekers and just blow everybody down. Well, I got the truth. Well, how many people did you get to heaven? None, but I sure sent them all to hell. Won't have to mess with them anymore. I know that's really extreme, but that's what Christians are doing. Jesus loves you, but if that person says something that you're not agreeing with, well, <laughs> then just go to hell then. A new commandment I give you. You know, it's interesting that he said a new, which is really not a new one, but I think the version that Jesus was bringing was the new one because it's not a new commandment. <laughs> it's in the Old Testament. But what was wrong with the Old Testament was that the Jews had created religion. And it was not about love. It was about legalism. And it was about control. And it was about the priest being holier than thou. We could spend a lot of time historically on that one. So Jesus says, I new commandment I give to you. Pay attention. That you love one another as I have loved you. Pretty simple, right? The hardest thing you've ever done in your life. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, as I have loved you, that you also love. I mean, if you don't make it on the first line, get it on the second one. <laughs> By this shall all men know that you're my disciple. Not about your doctor of theology. I mean, it's got one. Whoopie doo. I was joking with that thing, and somebody said, you, you got a doctor? Yeah, yeah, I can give you prescriptions, but they're all from Mexico. Just joking, guys. Just joking, yeah. By this shall men know that you're my disciples. Okay, we got to go by next week. We're going to bring a big old box of little fish stickers. And everybody's going to have one. And then we're going to have another box that says, follow me to Faithway. You can put that bumper sticker. And then we're going to get everybody a t-shirt, I love Jesus. And then for the younger ones, we're going to Jesus my homeboy. So everybody can know that we are Christians. It's amazing that he didn't say that's how it works. Because that's, what, that's westernized Christianity, right? You see, Christians in, Christianity in America, is, is, it is skewed. And I'll show you why. We've created our own entertainment. We have our own Hollywood. We have our own music. We have our own own everything. We have our own magazines. We have our own shirts. We have our own... What are we doing? We're alienating ourselves. In other words, we've created another subculture. So Christianity in America is just a subculture. Just like any, you know, you got motorcyclists and you got the RVers and you got the sports people and you got the, you know, whatever and the musicians. And Christianity is just another subculture with their own little everything. And that's exactly what Jesus didn't want to do. Because Christianity was for the world. I mean, and I, I hear the word Christianity and I'm like, Jesus was for the world. So. A disciple has to build, and boy, I'll tell you, this is, the, this is the big one, guys. We've already talked about this all year. Well, I'm going to keep talking until you get it. 
because I haven't gotten it yet. But I'm getting better because I'm finding a capacity to love people that I disagree with. Amen to that one, right? Can you love people that you disagree with in any capacity? That doesn't mean you have to agree with what they're doing. That just means, can I release? Because love, the love that God is talking about is not, well, come into my house. I'm going to love you. We're going to hang out. We're going to go to the movies. You're my best friend. I love you. love you. No. That's, that is, that's nothing about that. that that's, that's, the, that's human love. That's phileo love. That's brotherly love. I love you because you love me. I like you because you like me. Agape is not that. Agape is unconditional. In other words, I have to be able to love you. Now, and I'm going to break work on a little bit on the word love because we have another understanding, regardless of where you're coming from. Loving doesn't mean because I mean let's let's just let's you know this is another thing Christians do. We say things and we leave it super vague. Let's just be let's just have an honest, apologetic conversation. Can you love? everyone. Truth. According to your definition, no. Let's define that. According to your definition, there's no way you can love everybody. Because I go to Stripes and I don't love the cashier. And if I did, I'd probably be in a lot of trouble. I mean, really? I go to Walmart and I love you, call the greeter. (laughs) You mean so much. I'd be arrested, right? That guy's weird. No, what is he talking about? Because the capacity to love has to be there before you can give it away. How can you give something you don't have? So when he talks about love, he's talking about a word agape. It means unconditional. So I can't love somebody I don't know. That's impossible. I can't have feelings. I can't have emotions on somebody I have absolutely no connection. So he is definitely not talking about that. Because that's what we read. I just got to love everybody. No, you don't. You got to provide agape. It's up to them to receive it. I just provide it. Well, I don't like you. Well, you don't like yourself, I guess. Because I'm just providing it. Well, I don't like your religion. That's fine. Because we're not about religion. Well, I can't go to your church because my church said if I go to your church, I go to hell. Well, that's talk to your church because, you know, whatever. That's not our problem. My job is to make this space available to anybody who wants to walk through that door. Regardless of their lifestyle choices. That doesn't mean I'm going to condone it. I'm just saying welcome all. Because I have to have the capacity to agape them. Even the people that I don't agree with. This is is because the church will die. I'm talking the global church will die if they don't get this thing right. This church will die if they don't get this thing right. I'm serious. Because this church has to be known for something. And usually, you know, we're known for all kinds of weird stuff that's not even true. It is. That's a fact. But what about that church? And it, and it gets out. It gets out because you guys do some amazing things. Oh, you know, Faithway did this. That's what this is about. That you were able to go and give hot chocolate in Christmas to people that will never, ever darken our doorways. Well, I'll give you hot chocolate, but you've got to go to Faithway. You're not going? You can't have the hot chocolate. Jesus loves you, and I don't. No, love one another. Agape's, agape simply means the capacity to give of yourself to somebody that doesn't deserve it. Maybe they don't deserve it because you don't know them, or maybe they don't deserve it because they really don't deserve it. But you have to be able to say, you know what? I got no ought against you. 
You are welcome in my world. But I'm this, I'm that. That's fine. That doesn't mean I have to agree with you. I'm just saying you're welcome. And that was the message of Jesus because Jesus went to the darkest. He was criticized for going and hanging out with the wine bibbers. Oh, my God. Read it. They got all worked up about it. Oh, here I want one. I got one for you, little holy, holy Christians. Not you guys because you guys are awesome. I'm talking for maybe somebody out there. What was Jesus' first miracle? And what was that about? There's no purpose except to keep the party going. Yeah, Jesus. That's what he did, guys. They were out of wine. Party's over. It was grape juice, Pastor Bob. No, it wasn't. They're not going to say the best grape juice for last. I'm not condoning any, you know, I'm not going down the path to drink. That's not the, that's not, get, don't get sidetracked. I'm just saying we have this weird idea of what agape is. Well, he did it because mama told him, well, that's probably smart, but he's still God. I mean, he didn't really, he's like, Jesus, take care of it. He's like, oh, mom, first miracle ever. You would think he would have raised somebody from the dead. No, first miracle Completely no purpose? Talk to me, church. No purpose in the first miracle? I mean, it was just like one of those random acts of kindness. There's no purpose for making water into wine. Except love. He loved his mom. And that was the end of it. It wasn't about getting drunk or not. It was just, he loved his mom, and that was the end of it. There was no other purpose but love. No other purpose. Nobody became a follower of Jesus because that, that guy makes water into wine. Let's follow him. Huh? In Texas, he may have to make water into beer, and then, boy, woo, they'd have, everybody would be following him. See, Jesus does these things that just throw religion into this weird wobble because it's like, why would you make wine? That's your very first miracle. <laughs> this is interesting because some of these things, you know, we don't we ha- see the church has to have that that I'm trying to find the right word, but that energy. Love is unconditional, but it actually has to be unconditional even in the delivery of it. You can't just say, "Well, mom, you know, we can't be making wine. You know, they're all going to get drunk." He only said one thing. He said, "It's not my time." But apparently, it was because mom said. <laughs> <laughs> that changed real quick. You know, you guys know. If you got a, you got a Mexican mom, yeah, yeah, real quick. Things change real quick. I know, I know Mary just gave him the look. It's not my time, mom. Ah, <laughs> she reached down for the sandal. That was okay. Wine, wine. Wait, 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 wait. Let's go, RJ. Let's give it to the next one. Number three. This is a big one. And then I'm going to read you a couple of quotes. Focus. And he said to them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall save it. And the word that you've got to find here says, if, he said to them, if any man will come after me, that, that phrase, come after me, means discipleship. That's what he's, he's inviting people to becoming a follower, a student a, of him. But he says this thing, and this is a scripture that Christians don't like. They're like, whoa, 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 Pastor, I, I, I didn't sign up for this one. I'll go to church, 
Now, I'll give you some money, we'll put some money, we'll do missions, but I'm not going to put myself on the cross. Well, obviously, that's not what he meant. Losing your life wasn't, I mean, and I remember Terry Mai said this years, years ago when, when he was down in Panama, missionary and all that, and almost died. And he thought he was doing something for God because he was going to die in the jungles. And God kind of spoke to him and says, you're not going to be <laughs> much help if you're dead. The kingdom's not going to grow with you, in the, you know, gone. But, so he's not talking about losing your life. But he is talking, what I, what I summarized from this was just the word focus. That's why I put it focus. One of the key issues that most people have in continuance. Guys, trust me on this one. And, and people that have been here for over 20 years will tell you, this church has gone through all kinds of seasons. There was a season when we were almost like no chairs packed out. I remember one time way back in, was it 2003 somewhere? This thing was packed out. And I brought a preacher, which I shouldn't have brought. And he said some dumb things. And half the people left the church. And I I, I probably said, okay, I would go too, but I have to be at the church. So, you know, people go, if this church held every single person that sat here, not just for one service, but for a few services, because there's a lot of people just come in, okay, cool, not coming back. There would be no way. We'd pack this room out. We'd pack out the youth center. We'd have to build something else because there was literally thousands of people that have come. So what is is the key? Yeah, some people move away, what have you. But the key is focus. A disciple learns not to look at the left, not to look at the right, not to look what anybody else is doing. They learn to listen to what God is telling them. And that is what he means. He says, if a man will be my disciple... You are going to have to deny yourself. I'm telling you, church is a really weird dynamic because this church, think about it, in the world it makes no sense. All these musicians that are here, everyone serves here with no salary. Where in the world are you going to have somebody, okay, you're going to come and serve with no salary, and then on top of that, we're going to get your money. Yeah, your head goes tilt on that one, right? Well, if you don't understand the dynamic of the church, yeah, that's, that's insane. You're completely insane. But when you understand that, It makes perfect sense. Because we're not here. You see, a disciple will always look at the bigger picture. Yeah, I don't really agree. You know, pastor, you know, he didn't shake my hand today, or maybe he's having a bad day, or, you know, someone didn't say hello to me, or someone caused some, and I think I'm just going to leave the church. Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me you're willing to leave the church because one imperfect human, just like you're imperfect, rubbed you the wrong way, and you're willing to sacrifice your spiritual future, your calling, because one human being, one imperfect human, rubbed another imperfect human the wrong way. Think about how dumb it is, but people leave the church for the dumbest reasons. My services are too long. Okay. I'm sure you can find Express somewhere. <laughs> but the truth that you get here is solved. I was almost, you know, I was almost going to start this. It's not a new series. I was going to Go down to the space, say, but I'll say it right now. Think about everyone in this room, everyone watching me online. Why are you here? Why did you come back? Why do you keep coming back? Hopefully, it's not because of the preacher. It's because God has influenced your life in a way that nobody else can influence. And there's little things in your life that kind of just happen that used to not happen. And when your life was all like that hee-haw song, if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all? Before Jesus? I mean, you don't even know what a hee-haw is, so we're good. Oh, my God, I'm old. And then Jesus showed up, the Jesus factor. And just a couple things started getting better. 
And now you're able to manage your money a little bit better. You manage your relationships a little better. There's not that much fighting in the house now. The kids aren't acting like a bunch of crazy people anymore. You're not acting like a bunch of crazy people anymore. What's going on? Is there an influence? Because truth has to have evidence, right? I'm going back to that first thing. So when you understand this, when you understand what, what I just said and this one, then it's really a non-issue. I'm going to shock something's going to ripple effect to the congregation. This morning, I didn't want to come to church. Oh, <gasps> pastor. <laughs> Let me help you. Most of you didn't either. So don't be judging me. Thank God I'm not a woman, because if I have to put makeup up, there's no way I would have made it today. Is it wrong for me not to? No, that's just human nature. I'm tired. We've had a long week, you know. Huh? But there's something that will keep me coming every single Sunday. Right there. Focus. Because I don't have, this, this is what I'm supposed to do right now. And I lose my life by saying, I will be here, sir. That's what he means. You've got to be willing to take up your cross. In other words, what is the cross? When Jesus asks you, hey, I want you to pray for this person. <laughs> I can't even stand them. Jesus already said there's no merit in loving the lovely. If he's, getting, if he's asking you to pray for somebody you can't stand, he's trying to develop love in your life. That's all it is. He's trying to develop love because he knows that if we don't have love, we don't have nothing else. So losing your life doesn't mean, oh, this is so tedious. It's, no, no, no. Never, I hope, you know, yes, ministry sometimes is hard. Ministry is sometimes difficult. But it's never tedious. By me saying I don't feel like coming this morning doesn't mean this is tedious. It just means my body didn't feel like coming this morning. So you find the joy. You find the rhythm. You find all these things when you, when you truly get that disciple heart. Amen? Let me finish this up. Okay. Give me the, the last couple. Let me read. Um, wow. <laughs> This was really what I wanted to pull here, but the clock just left me. But I want to show you something. Let me just pull something out of here. So this is really the activation of the disciples. What, I'm, what do I mean by this? So we see three, three events in the book of Acts. Let me summarize them real quick. Event number one, you guys are called, preach the gospel, Jesus is gone. Event number two, well, I mean, you see the Pentecost and so forth. But the, the, the church structure, you see all the church gathering. There's 3,000 people. There's a lot of a lot of, lot of issues in the first century church. People don't have food. People so, that, so the church is ministering to people, helping people. And then you come into one of the third things that you see in the book of Acts, and this is it. And this is so cool because this is when they activate, I use the word activate, the disciples. So you're about to be activated if you consider your disciple because it's basically the same idea. Because I want you to find out there's things, and we talked about this last week, so I'm kind of building a little bit on last week, but I want you to get this. He said, so the 12 apostles called a meeting all the believers and told them it is not adventitious for us to be pulled away from the word of God to wait on tables. Now they weren't waiters like may I take your order? Okay. What that means, they were running everything. At this point, the church is huge on food distribution. They're helping widows. They're helping orphans. They're feeding people. A lot of movement. And if you've ever done anything, we used, there was a time we were taking a lot of food into Mexico and it's, it's a lot of work. And so he goes on and says, we want you to carefully select from among yourselves seven godly men. Make sure they are honorable, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And we will give them the responsibility, pay attention, of this crucial ministry of serving. That will enable us to give our full attention to prayer and preaching to the word of God. Everyone in the church loved this idea. So they chose seven men. And here's what's, what's cool about this. One of them was Stephen, one with, who was a man full of faith and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Along with him, they chose Philip. 
Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch. Now, why is that even significant or important? The apostles, and, and by the way, church, this church, the only reason this church is where it has little or big impact is because of you. I'm sorry, about the people who serve. Because when we started this craziness, it was my wife and I and her two sisters in my little house in Mirando. We didn't have the idea what we were doing, but we knew we were supposed to do this. And the only reason this thing grew was because people took their positions. That's the only reason. I, 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 you know, I still preach the same. I still, you know, whatever I did, was, I was doing the same. But the, the, how the church began to have influence and impact from going from a little home Bible study in Mirando City to buying farms in Cuba is not because of anything I did. It's because of everything you did. Listen to this point. This is what happened. The, the 11 were like, oh, we're doing this, we're doing this. So they had a good social programs moving, but their spiritual aspect of the church was going down. And here's the thing. For, 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 for uh, the ecclesia to have success, it needs really two things. It needs a tr- strong, strong discipleship, meaning that people get it. And I know that's a super overused word in, in ministerial cycles. So what's your discipleship program? I'm like, Sunday morning. That's why I tell them. Because they, you know, they want courses and they want teachings and they want this and they want that. And that's fine to bring people into discipleship. But discipleship is not taking you to a course and teaching you discipleship. Discipleship is all these things that I'm telling you. It's really a change of, of your attitude, loving people, so forth. But then this happens. When a disciple takes their position, they get promoted it released the apostles to go back to what was their job, which is my job, to preach, to teach, to study. To make sure that next Sunday, when I come here, I believe I got something the Lord told me for you. And it was their job to do everything else. Welcome, you're all hired now, right? You're like, oh, pastor, I knew you were going with somewhere. This. What's interesting is, it's like, it doesn't seem like a very important job to wait tables. Meaning, okay, now we've got to hand out a box of food, we've got to... Uh, Stephen will go down in history. He preached one of the most powerful messages, probably the most powerful message in the book of Acts, and he was martyred, first martyr. And he saw Jesus. I mean, amazing. You read the, This guy just was hired on to carry boxes, basically. And he is known as a hero. I'll pull another one out. Philip. Philip, hey, Philip, I need you to... Go feed the widows. Okay, I'll feed the widows. He's the only person in the New Testament that we have any evidence of that was translated. And if you don't know what that is, that's out there. That starts Trek stuff, okay? You're here. You disappear. You appear here. It's in the Bible. Go read it. Philip. Not Paul, not, not, not Peter. Philip. Some random guy. Not only that, he was translated to preach the gospel to an Ethiopian. A eunuch. And God used that eunuch to take the gospel into North Africa. (laughs) By one guy that was called to serve tables. The whole continent of Africa was evangelized by one guy that was called to serve tables. Are you listening to me, church? What's the difference between you and Philip? Nothing. They just became available. They became true disciples. Not trying to learn more and more and more. I've got to learn more. No. The foundations. Truth seeker. Love, uncompromised. I don't care what your tendency is. I choose to accept you. It's God's job to judge you, not my job. Keep that in your heart. 
Because too many, I was on the other side of that. I, I was very judgmental. I was very looking at things. I would say, that's not right. It's God's judge, God's job to judge. If you know it's wrong, it's wrong. You don't have to make a billboard of it. <laughs> you had to figure out how can I reach this person with love, not with judgment, not with condemnation, just with love. So all these guys, amazing, amazing things that they did, and all they did is they were disciples. They chose to be in there. And this is really the call for this church. I want to, I want to read you. I don't think I put them on the slides. This is a phenomenal quote. This is um, by a guy named Brennan Manning. And Brennan Manning wrote the, what's it called? The Cotton Patch? No, what's it? Rag, Muffin, something, Gospel. Anyway, it's a classic. If you, you look him up, you'll, you'll, if you'll help me with that. You'll find out what his book is, a real famous book. But anyhow, this is, this is the quote of the day. I was looking for a quote to bring to this message. And this one just really floored me. It says, what makes authentic disciples? Pay attention. This is so good. It's not visions, ecstasies, biblical mastery of chapter and verse, or spectacular success in the ministry. And then I underline this line. But a capacity for faithfulness. Pay attention now. What makes a true disciple? A capacity for faithfulness. Can you be called faithful? Not perfect. Can you be called? Can, can God count on you? There might be some here that will spend years just sitting there listening to the message, and then one day God says, I need you to go to Europe. I need you to go to South America. You're sitting here like, I don't even left Texas. But you were found faithful. I think faithfulness is not something you seek. It's what comes after you set those three foundations in your life. If you are a truth seeker, you will never be unfaithful because you're always seeking truth. You're seeking to love people. You're obeying God's commandment. Amen? So you're with him all the time. because you, There's no way you can agape anybody if agape is not in you. <laughs> Amen? It has to be his love. So that's easy to love people when you know that all you have to do is, is, is put Jesus' love out there and then you don't have to worry about it. But this idea that I'm telling you right now, you know, faithfulness, and then he goes on to say this. This is so good. He says, buffeted by the fickle winds of failure, battered by their own unruly emotions, he's defining me, actually, bruised by rejection and ridiculed, authentic disciples may have stumbled and frequently fallen, endured lapses and relapses, gotten handcuffed to the flesh pots, and wandered into a far country. Does that describe anybody? Yet, they keep coming I don't know about you, but that describes me. I have all these deficiencies. I have all these issues i got to resolve in my life. But the way he says, he says, fickle winds of failure, battered by their own unruly emotions, bruised by rejection, ridiculed, authentic disciples may have stumbled and frequently falling, endured lapses. How about this one? Relapses, gotten handcuffed to the flesh pots. Who writes stuff like that? That's so good. That's deep. Handcuffed to a flesh pot. Okay. In other words, there is nothing in your life that has disqualified you to be a disciple of Jesus. The only thing that has disqualified you is you. Nothing else. And this morning, you know, again, I didn't finish where I wanted. One last quote. There's two scriptures I, I'm going to skip. But John Morrison said this, God's will for you is to make you more like Jesus. Christ's likeness is your target, your goal, your vision, and the reason you were created. You are set apart to be like Jesus. That goal will take the rest of your life to accomplish it. So stop trying to be perfect. 
Just be a follower. And the more you follow, guess what it rubs on you? Perfection. That's how it works. So, so, so the long life quest, don't ever feel like, Pastor, you know, I, I was doing really good and then I fell off the wagon or I did something or, you know, hey, come on, let's get back on board. Because this was never designed for perfection. This was designed for people like ourselves. And then one last quote, and I don't have the author. Believers think only prominent ministers can have followers. But actually, every believer can and should have a few or at least one newer or younger believer as a disciple. Promise, I'm done. So the, the, the cherry on top of this message is this. Every one of you... Number one, hopefully you're a disciple. And guess what? Every one of you, it's okay for you to have followers. But they're not following just you. They're following you to Jesus. So if you're, if you're a parent in your home, you've got to disciple your children. Actually, discipling works better than disciplining. Because discipling is at the front end. Discipling is at the back end. Amen? Just disciple your children. Instruct a child in the way that he should go. That's discipleship. Every one of you should have followers. And, and those people should be following you nowhere? To the house of God. So maybe, you know, you have family members this week, maybe co-workers this week. Don't, I don't want you to say, we're going to go to, no, that's not, that's, a whole, that's not the point. I just want you to be a disciple of Jesus. And see if, if, without, see if you can invite them to church without inviting them to church. How about that? Well, how does that even work? Because they'll ask you, why are you like that? Why don't you get upset about everything? Why don't, why don't you respond? Why don't you cuss? Oh, Glad you asked. <laughs> Did you get something out of all this this morning? Go ahead and stand to your feet this morning. I pray you got something out of this series, but, you know, the reason it wasn't, you know, we put it here, month of September was, uh, it's really good to see people coming back to church, you know. The summer was really, really strange. But we are all, all under some orders to make our community better. That's the bottom line, guys. And, yes, we could come up, and we will, hopefully, by the grace of God, come up with some good programs that we could help the community but really, the way, this, the way the community in Heavenville is going to get better, the way the communi- community in Bruni, Laredo, is by you. You shine your light, that light gets on somebody, they get it, guess what they do? They start shining their light. Right? And then another one, another one. That is, that is really the key to evangelism. Trying to just build churches on, on what the church does, that's, that doesn't work. So I'm going to commission you this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, those watching me online, please say this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I come before you with my life just as it is. And I dedicate it to you. I thank you, Lord, that today my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I believe with all my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. I am born again. Amen. If you, if you believe that, that's it. That means you've made a choice to transfer your spiritual life into the hands of God. That's all you did. Now, this is my prayer for you. You don't have to repeat it. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the, the great things this church has done, being in such a little community and handful of people, what have you, Lord. But you have shown us that a church that has a vision for you and not for us, not our vision, not Faithway's vision, but Jesus' vision, that you will bless that. And I pray right now as I commission everyone listening to me that they take this series and say, understand that they are disciples, not of faith way. They are disciples of you, Jesus. And that they have a light to shine 
And they will go forth into their communities, into their workplaces this week. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you give them opportunities upon opportunities that aren't weird, that aren't callous, that are just simple acts of love, simple acts of kindness that will show people that we actually have sat with you, that we have been in your presence. And I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you for what's coming towards the end of this year, and I pray with all my heart, Father, that this remainder part of this week, this new week that we're getting, that just blessings come, and I just give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Give the Lord a hand clap, and you may be seated. I'm going to get you out of here really quick. Thanks, Liz. That's what it's called, ragmuffin gospel. Yeah. I can't. Where is the subtitle? Mine just says the ragmuffin gospel. Oh, <laughs> I didn't see that. Good news for the bed raggled, beat up, and burnt out. <laughs> Maybe I need to buy it. No, just <laughs> Anyhow, let me give you guys a quick update. So um, it looks like the, the Cuba thing is happening in November. First week of November, we're doing our leadership conference down there with... Um, Right now, it looks like we have 300 pastors. And the reason I'm saying this, if, you, if that's something that's on your heart, if Cuba's on your heart, if you know, you're part of Faithway, you know this is a missional church. We are big on missions. This is a big part of what we've always done. It's, it's the first thing I ever did was missions. So if Cuba's on your heart, you know, we're looking at our, our, our budget. For, and by the way, it's not just our budget. Faith Exchange, New York City is helping us. Well, they're part of it. They're not helping us. Pastor Dan, Pastor Ann. They're going down, and, of course, myself. So between the both of us, we're gonna, we're, we need to raise about eleven, maybe a little more, $12,000, which includes busing pastors from all over through that island, from Havana, all the way down to, I'm not sure if all the way to Santiago, but from Orguin, which is close to Santiago. So we're renting five buses. Um, we're feeding the pastors for three days. We're, it's room and board. It's a camp, so you know, they stay there. They eat there. And, you know, the transportation, the food. I'm trying to get what, what the other one was. Transportation, food. Oh, yeah, and, and of course, their, their stay and all that. So the whole budget for the meeting is, is roughly around that. So, again, you do whatever the Lord tells you. There's no pitch in here. If you believe that what Faithway is doing in Cuba is relevant, then you join, you know, partner up with us. That's all I can tell you. You will be blessed. Don't do it because I just, I just know you will be blessed, you know, because... Cuba is really an amazing, amazing story of grace. You know, it's, it's so, so difficult down there. It's just really, really hard. I mean, and, and, and every time, it just seems like this, through the pandemic, it got really bad right now. Their inflation rate is over 600%. I mean, it's just, you know, they can't find um, fuel, all kinds of stuff. But nonetheless, the church is alive and well. Amen. Our church is growing down there. Pastor O tells me it's packed, jam-packed out. Of course it is. They got an air conditioner now that you guys help put in, amen? So a lot of good things are happening in Cuba. So that's coming up pretty quick a month from now. So we just asked you if you would like to partner with that. And there's a class that will start October. Is there a date? Okay. It just says October. <laughs> October 23rd at 9 a.m. I think this is a good class. Um, Kathy and Laura will be hosting it. And it's a new believers class. So if you're newer to the church, or if you've got somebody, you know, it's been kind of comes and goes to church, but not really sure what the church is about, I really highly recommend you sign up and, and take that. And even if you've been coming, but you're, 
but you come from like a different background church, you know, because we do things different. If you like, for example, if your whole life you've been in the Catholic church, not knocking that, you know, that's what you are. You already know my position on that. We're all Christians at the end of the day, but we do things way different, right? So you wonder, why did they do this? Why did they do that? Why did, well, that's what this class is about, all right? So it's all the foundational stuff that, that you need to know about our belief system, about what we do and who we are. And not just ours, what God teaches, the basic foundation. So, again, thank you guys for doing this. So October 23rd, I didn't, I'm still trying to lock the date down. I'm sorry, Laudo, but we are going to kick up our men's fellowship. Do you want to give a date right now? No. First Saturday of October? Because we already skipped the last Saturday. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out on a limb. Unless you absolutely can't, some of the men here, all the men go, Oh, my God, guys, wake up. I'm going to keep you all till you all wake up. No. Men's meeting, Iron Sharpens Iron. We're going to do a Saturday morning breakfast. We can do it here in town. It's going to be a planning meeting, not preaching, nothing. We're going to structure our men's group. So all the men are invited. We'll give you date and time. I mean, place. The date will be the first Saturday morning of October, right? What, what day is that? Can you tell me? So I don't keep them any longer. Oh, first. Oh, you can't forget it. Is that a Saturday? Okay. October 1st. It's a Saturday. We'll, we'll tell you next week where, but we'll meet somewhere here in town at a restaurant, have breakfast, and just hang out for a little bit, okay? All right. There's your information. If you need an envelope for your giving, um, please raise your hand today because there's no envelopes next to you. So just raise your hand and ushers will more help you. And again, thank you guys for your generosity. Thank you for keeping our doors open, our bills paid.